Well, good morning. If you are a child and you are going back to group, now is the time for you to be dismissed. As always, it is good to see you, Journey, and uh, I'm grateful for an opportunity to to open God's Word together. Uh, I know it is uh, it is a privilege to do this uh, that I don't take lightly, and so I'm just grateful for an opportunity to do this. If you have a Bible, we're going to be starting in Matthew chapter five, um, as we have been the last few weeks. Why? Because we're in a series that we're calling Counter Kingdom. Counter kingdom, and we're talking about the fact that Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven to earth and that it is a counter kingdom. It is a kingdom that is counterintuitive to the way we think. It's counterintuitive to the way we perceive things in this world to be. And, and what we're using to kind of frame this is the Beatitudes. It's out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. It is basically eight blessings that the Lord gives, the Lord Jesus gives at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sermons ever done, the most famous teaching probably that he has in all of the Gospels is this Sermon on the Mount. And at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we have blessing, we have grace, we have people that are being included that don't feel like they should be, we have people that aren't necessarily being included that feel like they should be. And that's what we see, the Beatitudes, they, they're statements of blessings. They interrupt life with unexpected blessings for unexpecting people, and they also challenge us. And today is going to be a challenge for us. The, the Beatitudes, I was thinking, like, what's a good illustration for what I have felt uh, so far going through the Beatitudes, just studying these and getting ready? And they kinda, it's kind of like they're, they're like a defibrillator for the Christian heart. Right, our heart a lot of times as followers of Jesus, we get out of sync, we get out of rhythm. And the Beatitudes are kind of shaking and shocking us back into the proper rhythm of the way the kingdom of heaven actually works. You see, he's done that a lot to me already. He's probably done that a lot to you already. And today is just gonna exacerbate the issue for a lot of us. And to be honest with you, like for some today is gonna be a challenge for others, today is going to be like water to a parched soul. But I think whichever place you are, like, it's going to be hopefully good news for you when it's all said and done. So let's set the context of today's Beatitude with where we've been in the Beatitudes overall, right? We've been through two already. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. We see blessing for those who realize and acknowledge their spiritual bankruptcy, their need for Jesus before God, and they come to Jesus with nothing to offer him with open hands and just say, I have my life and that's all I can give you. And he says, that's great. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He says that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But then he also says that those who mourn the brokenness in the world, those who mourn the brokenness in their own hearts and souls, what they see, he says that they will be comforted with grace and with his presence in the midst of the brokenness because Jesus himself enters in to the brokenness. And more than that, though, they'll be comforted with the hope that he is coming back to finally and fully restore and renew this broken world we live in. That's where we've been. And now, today, we have ourselves, with that context, a new blessing. Matthew 5, 
Verse five, beatitude number three, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a Welsh minister back in the mid early to mid-1900s in London, this is what he says about the Sermon on the Mount and particularly this aspect of the Beatitudes. He says this, it's comparatively easy to be honest with ourselves before God and acknowledge ourselves to be sinners in his sight. But how much more difficult is it to allow other people to say things like that? about me. Now, this was in London, and this was about probably 70-ish years ago, right? I, I would say that even his first premise, that it's comparatively easy for us to own our sin before the Lord is becoming less and less easy for us as a society and us even in the church. But even if you're able to do that, it's one thing for me to be like, Lord, I'm a sinner, it's another thing for my wife to be like, Nathan, you're a sinner. Am I, am I right? Really? Y'all are a lot more humble than me. Like if I was to walk up to you, if I knew you personally, I was to walk up to you and be like, hey man, I saw this thing in your life that's just kind of out of step with the way of Jesus. I just wanna make sure you're aware of it. I, I wanna lovingly confront that to you. I, I wanna, even if I did that in the most loving and gentle way, you're gonna be like, you better step back. <laughs> do you, do you wanna do this? You want, you want to compare our lives? I mean, that's just the way we are. We can own it sometimes before the Lord, but to own it before others, for others to own it for us before we own it ourselves, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, that's challenging. It is challenging. It's challenging for us to possess the humility and the meekness to allow others to observe our brokenness. Parents, any of you ever addressed brokenness and sin in your child and then like, honey, you know what? I, I just, this is not going well. Uh, this is gonna end bad for you. And I just wanna encourage you to, to go a different way and then be like, thank you. Thank you, Father. What a wise person you are. I, I'm going to bed tonight to thank God that he blessed me with such a brilliant, insightful parent. And let me just tell you, if you have young children, that day will not come, okay? So if you're like, well, maybe when my kids are older, no. Maybe when they get their 30s, maybe. So that's just the reality of life. We, we have a hard time when people expose our own sin. We struggle enough with owning it ourselves. We struggle enough with owning our own failure, our own poverty of spirit, much less anybody else owning it for us. And then you take that and you add to it our obsession with power and acquiring all that we can in this life. We glorify power and control. Now, I'm an eight. If you know what that means, I'm not gonna get into that if you don't know what it means. But I'm an Enneagram eight. At least some people say I am. The test said I am, but that's wrong. That's why I took it twice. But all that said, like for some of us, power is alluring even more than others. We like the idea of power, we like the idea of control. We have a saying that might equals right. And many of us believe that. We feel safe in the ability to exercise our authority versus having authority exercised over us. You see, meekness isn't attractive to us or to the kingdom of this world for that matter. But Jesus blesses it. He blesses the meek. What about meekness brings blessing? 
How can we recalibrate our minds and recalibrate our soul to see blessing of meekness in this counter kingdom? Well, to do that, we're going to examine meekness today under three subheadings, and I'm going to call it like this. We're going to look at the challenge of meekness. We're going to look at the blessing of meekness. And then we're going to talk about the underlying trust of blessed meekness. So the challenge to meekness, the blessing, though, of meekness, and then the underlying trust of blessed meekness. So let's take a few minutes to look at each one, starting with the challenge. What's the challenge of meekness? Well, to, to talk about the challenge, we first have to kind of understand, well, what is meekness in the first place? So let's begin just by defining it. The Greek word praus here actually means mild, humble, gentle, or meek. And some of your translations may not say meek. I'm using the NIV. The ESV says meek. Some other translations say humble. That's basically kind of overarching what that means. But why might this be so in the counter kingdom? Why is Jesus saying that those are mild or humble or meek are blessed? Well, we have to understand both the context of where we are in the Beatitudes, but also the context of where we are in the story of the Bible. Matthew, the book of Matthew is the gospel written by Matthew, and it's pre predominantly written to a Jewish audience. I don't have time to nuance how you could already see that by Matthew chapter 5, because all, all I'll say is that you basically see Matthew propping up Jesus as the better Moses. He goes and does things that we see done in Exodus. And here we have, you know, Moses goes up on a mountain to get the Ten Commandments. Jesus is giving his sermon on the mountain. They both have passed through water, Jesus through the baptism, Moses through the Red Sea. I said I didn't have time to do it, but here I go. Jesus, or Moses takes them through the Red Sea. Jesus goes to the baptism. Moses has them wandering in the wilderness. Jesus goes into the wilderness after his going through the water to be tempted. You see Matthew's propping up Jesus. This is a very Jewish context for who he's writing to. And he's telling the story through the lens of Judaism. And here's Jesus, the true and better Moses. And the Jews had a lot of promises that they clung to. They were to be a kingdom of priests. They were to be God's people, his holy nation. It even says that they were his very possession. And speaking of possession, they were to possess the land. There was a promised land, a literal piece of land that was promised to Abraham. It was reiterated to Jacob and others, Moses as well. Across the history books of the Bible, you see that there's this idea that this is their land that God has designed for them to be his holy nation. But sometimes they have to leave the land through exile because of their sin, because of their rebellion. And then they come back and they leave again and then they come back. And where you find yourself in Matthew is they are in the land, but they are not free. They're under Roman occupation. They're under Roman rule. They're waiting the Messiah. And that's kind of where they're at. I mean, they're, they're, wearing, they're wearing mega hats, right? Make Israel great again. That's what they're waiting for, right? Make Israel great again. And here's this guy that seems to be the Messiah. So what's he going to say? And you can see then why this blessing of meekness can be challenging to hear. Because between Malachi, there's about 420, which was about 420 BC, to the arrival of John the Baptist, you have virtual silence from God in these 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. We don't have much activity between God and Israel. Now, Israel's active. 
They're trying to do revolts. I mean, they're, they're fighting for freedom, but you don't see much about the Lord. And then here comes John the Baptist on the scene saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew chapter three. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is coming. I'm not able to untie his shoes. He is holy. I baptize with water. He comes to baptize with fire and with the Holy Spirit. And there's this awareness, awakening that, oh my gosh, the Messiah is coming. And then here comes Jesus, right? Jesus shows up on the scene. The dove comes down from heaven at his baptism and says, this is my son who, I'm, who is well Please, the sky says, the Lord says through the sky. And here's this Messiah, what's he gonna say? And then Jesus goes about and he preaches with power in Matthew chapter four and he's healing and he's exercising demons and he's just showing just amazing power and amazing power in his preaching. People are just hanging on every word that he says. And here comes the Sermon on the Mount, this messianic manifesto and it's just like nothing what anybody expected at all. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Jesus doesn't bless aggression. This is why it's so challenging to them. He doesn't bless aggression. He doesn't bless hostility. He doesn't bless violence. He doesn't bless revolts. And what's amazing is even one of his disciples, Simon Zealot, like this was his way of thinking, was like, we gotta take Israel back. And Jesus is saying, this is not what I bless. He blesses gentleness. He blesses meekness. How could a king with a bunch of meek and humble servants ever reclaim the glory and freedom for Israel? That's the context and that's the challenge for the original audience. But it's not just challenging for them. It's a challenge for us as well. This blessing is in conflict and opposition to what we naturally perceive is true about the world. You know, many of us believe the way of safety is what? Power. The way of comfort is what? Control. The way of protection is to project aggression and retaliation. And before the church is like, well, that's the world. No, no. We see it in the church. We see it in Christians all the time. We prefer a military Jesus over a meek Jesus. Am I wrong? We prefer a retaliatory Jesus who slaps the other cheek instead of turns the other cheek. We prefer a Messiah who will deliver us from our fleshly enemies now instead of loving them. Why is that? Like, why does Jesus glorifying meekness strike us as just so wrong? Like, okay, the first two, I could see, Jesus, you're kind of wrong on this one. Surely, surely you meant to say not that blessed are the powerful, right? Like, we functionally believe authority, power, and control equates to protection, comfort, and security in our minds. That's the way we see things a lot of times. The kingdom of this world beatitude would be blessed are the powerful. Blessed are those who flex their muscles. Blessed are those individuals who have money and fame and influence and a large social media following. Those are the beatitudes of the kingdom of this world. Those are the type of people that are blessed and we wholeheartedly believe it, don't you? Do you find it challenging to believe that there's blessing and meekness? 
that there's blessing and humility and an admitting a lack of strength in some area. Does that seem like a blessing to you? When you look at our society and when you look at all of the problems that you see in the church, is your gut instinct to be aggressive, to call it out, to call people to account, to offer no mercy or grace? Do you compare your life to others in a way that makes you sad? See, we've talked about comparison in ways that make you feel better about yourself. But do you compare it in ways that make you sad? I wish I looked like him. I wish I was as as athletic as her. I wish I could take that vacation. I wish I had their life. You know, you see that and you're like, well, that's jealousy. What does that have to do with meekness? It's mourning the meekness of your life. It's mourning your humility. It's mourning your lack. Or in the case of like, if you see the society or the people around you, people that you love going in a direction that you don't approve of, do you respond with might? I'm gonna fix this stupidity. I'm gonna show them how wrong they are. Jesus says, bless are the meek. Yet those are real problems. We don't often have the life we want. We don't often see the trajectory of brokenness and we, or we, we often do see the trajectory of brokenness and we wanna step into it. And part of that is right and good. So how could a humble Jesus be what we need? How could a humble Jesus be what our society at large needs? I think we're like Israel. We're like, how can this be the way of blessing Jesus? Well, to understand that, first let's look at what Jesus promises the meek. You see, meekness in the kingdom of heaven comes with a blessing. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus says in his counter kingdom, there's blessing for meekness. The meek will inherit the earth, which you can imagine based on the context as we already talked about historically and, and imagining the challenges that we face now, how this can be a hard idea to justify. How does meekness lead to inheriting the earth? How can that even be? And to understand this, we need to understand that the promise of the promised land was a shadow of the ultimate promise. The physical land in Israel was never the point. How do I know this? Is that just like me, you know, looking back with 2020 vision? No. The Psalms and the prophets speak to this. They speak to God's name being praised all over the earth. And let me just give you an example from each, one from the Psalms and one from the prophets. Look at Psalm 72, verses 8 through 12. May he rule from where? Sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish, that's pagan kings, and distant shores bring tribute to him. May the king of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him for he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. Who is, who is the he here? It's the coming king. It's the prophesied and promised Messiah, God's anointed one. And what is the extent of his rule? From sea to sea, from the river to the ends of 
the earth. And notice the type of people this king will deliver in verse 12. The needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help them. In other words, the meek, the humble. How about Micah? There's a psalm. How about Micah chapter 5? But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans, humble, of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So a coming king who has been around forever. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth and he will be our peace. Again, we see the prophecy of a coming king He's a ruler whose origins are of old because he's eternal, yet he comes as the son of a woman and he will be an Israelite. And how far will his greatness and security and rule reach to the ends of the earth? You see, the whole story of scripture is pointing not to this strip of land, but to God claiming the whole earth, to God's glory being covering the whole earth that it was always about the earth, all that it has. We have these two texts that show the story was heading that way, a coming king establishing a coming kingdom on earth that extends from sea to sea and rivers to the ends of the earth. But before we move off this text, I do want you to see in Micah 5.4, one more thing about our king. What does it say in Micah 5.4? He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the strength of the Lord. So we have a strong king who can exert his power to offer security over his meek people? Yes. But Jesus doesn't just tell us what the blessed life is in his kingdom. He models it. Jesus was a meek Messiah, which means meekness is not the absence of strength if he's a strong king, but rather meekness is reserved strength. Jesus was strong but he used his strength to be a blessing. So meekness is using strength for the blessing of others. And we understand that, right? If, like, if we can take ourselves out of this context, think about parents. Like I, I see small children in this room. You are much stronger than your children, but you don't pick them up and crush them. It's a reserve strength. It's a protection. It's a way of using your strength to soothe a child. You see the same thing in dealing with elderly people who are frail, whose bodies are giving out. We are stronger than them, but we take care of them. We use our strength to be a blessing. This is the image I have thinking about Jesus. He was strong, but he used it in meekness. Zechariah 9, 9 through 10 speaks of a coming Messiah as being one who is gentle. He's gentle. And Matthew actually quotes Zechariah in chapter 21, which we actually read as a church together when I preached in Holy Week, when he comes into Jerusalem on the donkey. And here's what Matthew says, quoting Zechariah, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle 
and riding on a donkey, on the colt, on a foal of a donkey. But it's not just Zechariah and Matthew who speak about Jesus' gentleness. Jesus speaks about it himself. Also, I covered this back in March. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. This is Jesus saying this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened. Does that sound like meek and humble people? Weary people, burdened people, broken people. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for what? I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. And all of his strength, Jesus leverages it to be a blessing, to bring rest, to bring hope to bring healing. He protects his people. He brings us peace with God. He brings us salvation and he destroys the powers of this world. This is how Paul speaks of Jesus' strength in regarding his victorious death and resurrection in Colossians 2. Here's what he says. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Brother and sister, listen to this. He forgave us all our sins. All our sins. You realize when he wrote this, none of you were alive. None of you were alive. He forgave us all our sins. Before you ever did anything, if you are in Christ today, he forgave you all her sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And listen to what he says in 15. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This Jesus who is strong disarms the powers and the authorities. He takes away their power and he makes a public, spec public spectacle of them. And he does it for those who are meek, who mourn their poorness of spirit. For those in that state that come to Jesus, he's gentle and he's humble in heart. He provides forgiveness of all your sins, all your sins. He cancels your debts. He's strong, he's powerful, he's holy, he's loving. He's meek, he's gentle. Jesus is calling us into a blessed life where we don't have to be strong. We don't have to have it all figured out. We can lean into his strength and perfect righteousness. And he's faithful to those who are meek. But again, this is difficult, this is a challenge. Why is that? Because we are taught to pull ourselves up Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, we say. We're taught that God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. We think that. We've been taught that. God helps those who help themselves. No. Actually, the Bible basically says God helps those who can't help themselves. They come to him. But that's what our mind's like. So like, that's why this is so hard for us. Like for you, like do you believe God doesn't want to help you unless you add maybe a little bit of help in yourself? 
Is your life basically a date with God and you're going Dutch? You cover you, I'll cover me. That date's gonna end badly. Because he doesn't want that. He wants to offer you grace. He doesn't say, come on, pay your way. But it's hard for us because it's what we think. Like we're taught to pull ourselves up. We're taught to help ourselves and let God add in the difference. We don't, and also that, like, we don't like being meek. We like being strong. The kingdom of this world values strength. The kingdom of this world values self-sufficiency. The kingdom of this world values self-made men and self-made women. But the root of both of these is pride. Not that you can't be a self-made person in business or things like that and, and have like a, well, I, that was good. But to understand like that was a gift. Yes, you worked hard, but that was a gift. The root of this is pride if this is what we wanna be known for. I wanna offer help to God. I wanna be self-sufficient. I wanna be self-reliant. That's pride. It's about making a name for yourself. It's about being the hero of your own story. But you know what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23? He says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, last week I told you, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize sin in your heart. And like one that I still wrestle with a lot is pride. And I feel like when you say that stuff in church, it's like, oh, well, that's a, that's a church sin to repent of. But God's like, no, that's a pretty big one. You exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. But if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. You see, he disarmed the powers of this world. Don't try to give them their ammunition back by believing the lies that, they tell, that the world tells you. See, when we don't embrace the challenge of meekness, we miss out on the blessing of meekness. And the blessing of meekness, one of those is relying on Jesus for all that we need, from grace to our daily bread. The blessing of mirroring, mirroring Jesus' meekness, though, his reserved strength and care for others, that's another blessing that we see. But there's one more blessing here that Jesus says. Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. In the first century, this would have been hard as we've already discussed, that the Messiah is coming to Israel and that the oft overwhelmed and weak people of God, they're gonna get their land back, but they get more than that, they get the whole earth. But you can imagine that that would be hard for them to like fully understand and hear, even though they knew the Old Testament and we've already talked about how it's in the Old Testament, it's just hard. We discussed already the challenge of meekness. They, they might see like, oh, we get the whole earth, but then we get it through meekness. That doesn't really make sense. It would actually take for them and for us to trust the Messiah. And Jesus knows this. That's why, I don't know if you know this, but this beatitude is almost an exact quote of Psalm 37. Psalm 37, 11. So let's look at Psalm 37, 1 through 11 to see the context of the promise as we close here of the meek inheriting the earth and to see if there's any clues into how we might be strengthened in our meekness now. Psalm 37, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they soon will wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. 
Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness, your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Now there's a whole lot there, but I want you to see three things. I want you to see this, that do not fret is commanded three times. Three times, do not fret. Trust in the Lord or command like it, commit your ways to the Lord, hope in the Lord, delight in the Lord. Those are commanded six times. Why do you think that is? Have you ever thought to yourself like they're prospering and I'm not? Like they are? Ever looked at success of people who use their power to corrupt, to game the system, to think of how, un and think how unfair all of this is? You see, the psalmist is setting us up. He's getting, getting us to see past the present reality. He's getting us to be patient, to be hopeful, to do good. Why? Because the tendency is to try to take matters in our own hands. To try and apply what power we actually have to fix injustice, to exalt ourselves. That's the challenge when we see the wicked prosper. Therefore, the psalmist encourages us, when you see the wicked prospering, when you see them attaining wealth and power and possession and land, don't fret. Why? Because the Lord has you. Trust in him. Trust him in the dark. Trust him in your questions. Trust him that there is a reality that is more ultimate than the reality you see in the moment. Blessed meekness requires a deep underlying trust in the Lord to be just and to work all this out to provide for you what you need. But how can we trust when what we, then when what we see seems to be going in the opposite direction of what we think? We trust by looking at Jesus, who offers us not something we can earn, but an inheritance by grace. You see, the kingdom of this world is all about prosperity now. It's all about taking what you can, making a name for yourself, acquiring all that you can. The kingdom of this world says, get strength and be strong. Use it to your advantage. Acquire as much power as you can, acquire as much wealth as you can, acquire as much influence as you can. But not so with this counter kingdom. The kingdom of heaven says, trust the Lord to fight for you and protect you. Delight in the Lord and trust him for satisfaction. Leverage any influence you have for his glory. Enjoy the goodness of this world as he deems fit, not just for consumption, there's a difference between eating a good meal and being like, wow, that was really good. I really love that steak. And being able to let that flow up into worship of Jesus. 
what an amazing creator you are. Thank you for this. You see, we can enjoy the goodness of the world in a way that doesn't just end on consumption, but ends in praise. And don't waste your life acquiring things that fade, that are in tomorrow's garage sales that in two months will be posted on Facebook Marketplace. How come? Like, how can we really live this way? Because you have an inheritance that he secured on the cross by defeating the powers. And your inheritance is secured by the strength of Jesus and his love and commitment to you. When you have an inheritance from the Lord, you're able to enjoy that vacation now without feeling like you have to own the house. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong if you have vacation homes, but what I am saying is that it frees you up if you're not able, like I can't buy a vacation house, but I'm able to actually enjoy the moment if I'm living in this light of the fact that I have an inheritance. When you have an inheritance from the Lord, you're able to delight in the Lord instead of delighting only in the stuff that he made. Under the kingdom of this world, you're constantly having to earn your joy, earn the good life, and use your power to keep it and maintain it and to grow it. And this often doesn't actually lead to real freedom, even though we think, and I even sometimes I do, I think that sounds like that would be more free. Financial freedom, maybe, but it also leads to anxiety anxious for more, anxious you might lose what you have, anxious about how you might increase it, unsettled, anxious. When you have an inheritance from the Lord, you're able to leverage this life. Your strength can be leveraged for weakness. Your possessions or your lack can be leveraged. Your wealth or only your daily bread can be leveraged for his glory. Wherever you find yourself in the room today on that map, you can leverage it for his glory. You can use your strength as a way to bless others. Blessed are the meek. You can be a blessing because an inheritance is a blessing because it's not what you earned, it's what you inherited, which means it's sure. It can't be taken and it's secure. It's an inheritance. And that inheritance is the earth the earth. What do you love about God's creation? Rivers, mountains. I mean, I love all of it. <laughs> I was in Oregon, never been there. I was in Oregon this week and just seeing just some of the landscape, like the hills and the trees and the mountains flying in and by Mount Hood, just beautiful. But I also, I know you guys know this, I love the ocean. I love palm trees a little more than I probably should. I love a beautiful sunset. I love a beautiful sunrise. What do you love about the earth that God made? Because I want you to know he's making a new, he's not making a new earth, he's renewing this earth. That's the promise that we will inherit the earth, but it will be an earth without brokenness, even more beautiful than what we already have, and the meek will inherit it. You know, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's his, 
Therefore, he can choose to give his to whoever he wants to inherit it. And he chooses to give it to the meek. Not the powerful, not the arrogant, not the self-righteous, not the prideful, not those in first. He gives it to the humble, the poor in spirit, the mourning, the last. Those who exalt others over themselves, he gives the earth to the meek. So disciple of Jesus, as you go about your life on the earth now, trust in the Lord and do good. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And as we realize our poorness of spirit and mourn the brokenness in us and in others, we humbly and we meekly come to our strong yet meek Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we do, we find him gentle and humble in heart. And he gives rest to the weary. He gives safety to the oppressed. He gives strength to the weak. And ultimately, he gives the earth to the meek. This is his counter kingdom. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Amen. So in closing, a call to action. If you're not a follower of Jesus, either in the room, watching, through the internet, I would just encourage you to consider the king of, your, of this counter kingdom. Look at him, examine him. A strong king who can cancel your, your debt that, the sin, that your sin has made for you, that can forgive you of all your sins. And yet he's gentle and humble in heart when you come to him. He, he knows you're weary. And he offers you rest. If you're not a disciple of Jesus right now, what are you waiting for? Come to Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, embrace the challenge of meekness. You know, every week I feel like I gotta say, embrace it. Because <laughs> what we see like the important spirit, uh, embrace it. Those who mourn, oh, I don't like mourning, embrace it. Gentleness, embrace it. Embrace the challenge that it brings. For some of you, it's not a challenge at all. Like the way you're wired, you're like, oh, thank the Lord. This is a blessing to be meek. For me, it's like, ouch. Blessed are the meek, embrace the challenge. Number two, find rest in Jesus. You're gently strong savior. Don't shy away from Jesus because you're afraid he's disappointed in you. In your weariness and your burden and all this struggle of your life, and you're like, ah, I've got to get it to you. I've got to pull myself up, right? I'm going Dutch with Jesus and I've not paid my way. He says, come to me. Find rest in him. And then trust him to be all that you need now and forever. Let's pray.
Our Father, we just, we can't be more thankful for the way that you speak such blessing in such unexpected ways and unexpected places. Lord, for those of us in the room who are already meek and, and lowly, would you lift our eyes to see that we're just following you? That you who possess all strength yet present yourself meek and lowly, would you encourage our hearts today in a world that shames those who are meek? And for those of us in the room, Lord, who have strength or try to use imaginary strength over others, would you encourage us as your people to be meek? to follow in the way in which that you led, to use our strength and our power that you may have granted us on this earth in a way that you used yours to bless, to encourage, to bring rest. Lord, I know that all over this room, we're in all different places financially. We're in all different places spiritually. We're in all different places personally with going on in our life. I pray that you would speak through your spirit now an encouraging word to those in this room, wherever we are, so that we can become more like you, our gentle, strong Savior King. And it's for your beautiful name, Jesus, that would go out over all the earth that we pray. Amen.